Welcome to Rage Against the Mainstream, your full-spectrum source for all things music, insight, and opinion. Welcome back for Season 2. My name is Bill, and I'm joined here today with Connor and Steve. Yo. Today is December 23rd, 2019. Once again, we'd like to thank you all for coming back and listening. We took a break so we could be better for you. This is true. Better, stronger, faster. <laughs> Have you guys encountered anything new or interesting since Halloween? Uh, hype on that Rage reunion. Oh, hell yeah. 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 If uh, if they don't do any dates out here, I'll probably have to make a trek out there. Yeah, that I really hope it's super successful. So then they co- they got to come this way. I keep dude. hearing like rumors that there's uh, more dates coming. They got like, to, leaked, dude. Like, yeah, that's what I heard, uh, too european dates and i'd stuff. be grateful for like a uh one of those like you know amphitheaters that just like a lawn ticket to go see rage would be fucking awesome reopen the trocadero for anything to awesome. see rage yeah <laughs> anything to see rage would be great imagine that they do reopen the troc yeah. at cbgb just for one night <laughs> only <laughs> yeah. all right rage is back we'll be back too yeah. well dude that's the thing i think with like the hype around rage against the rage against the machine and now with the newfound hype of rage against the mainstream you know kind of propelling this whole thing it's quite I, coincidental isn't yeah, it it is really weird we're on our rise up they're coming back up it's yeah we're not like, taking any credit for this but the coincidence is definitely uh prominent to say the least tom zach tim you know if you guys you know want to throw some tickets whatever you know we would be there <laughs> Yeah, you guys could go out there and just fart on your guitars, and we would still give an amazing review. Oh my god, yeah, we wouldn't even give a fuck. Like, yo, that last Rage Against the Rage Against the Machine show, this shit was toe like, tight. It's coming the, back around again. Yeah, we're within <laughs> like we're like less than like a hundred feet from Rage. This is cool. Yeah, like, exactly. We're breathing really the same air. Wouldn't it be some shit though if they got on, me and Connor were talking about this? If there was like an interview and Tom Morello was like, "I really don't like this whole Rage Against the Mainstream." I don't even shit. care. I don't even care. I mean, I would feel upset that like a beloved artist doesn't like it, but the fact they even noticed, yeah, I feel accomplished. (laughs) What about you, Steve? So, yeah, last month, I mean, in October, I did say I was going to see Tool November 16th. Recently saw The Misfits as well, again, in December 14th, but I'm going to go back to that Tool show on November 16th. I saw in Newark, and... um, debatably probably one of the best shows i've ever been to yeah um it's definitely not the best viewing of a show i've ever been to because my seats were not all great but dude i just imagine what it would have been like to see pink floyd on the dark side of the moon tour in their prime with like the effects and everything that people would experience like in the 70s like how fucking awesome that would have been Oh hell yeah, yeah! People act like Tool is kind of like, and granted, I'm not the biggest Tool fan at all, yeah. but like people act like Tool's like maybe not washed up, but they there's definitely like a Dude. mentality that they're like old and they are yeah. probably past their prime. But here's the thing: they be, but like if this back is in the day, prime shit. Yeah. Back but, in the day, you gave bands time to stretch out their careers and hash things out. Exactly. Like, you know, like Led Zeppelin, uh, Pink Floyd, these bands had long careers. Well, you think you of know? the evolution of bands. I mean, you get to a point where you start making the same record and then you try to change and people don't fucking like it. Tool, like with the Undertow era, the Opiate era, then they progressed into Enema, then they went to Lateralis, 10,000 Days. The cool thing about the... Um, fear inoculum album is that you got to notice a lot of those songs were catered to how like maynard would have sung them live because he didn't try to do too much on an audio recording where he had the time to just do it there in that moment as opposed to having to perform that consistently because like think about tom array when he has to do that scream for angel of death yeah can't fucking do it and it's like not to say like he can't do it it's just he's older so all the songs were catered they were more instrumental they were slower tone vocals they were like more of like a you know a singing voice as opposed to that raspy or yelling voice and Dude, I'm telling you, just the show itself, the visuals, the instrumental work, Danny Carey is, I'm pretty sure, is a robot. 
<laughs> uh, the, the guy is like sounds like a fucking drum machine. It's like unbelievable watching him behind that kid. Well, it's like what we talk about all the time, like the longevity of this. Like how long can you do this dude, at the level that are it in requires? Sixties. Correction, they're in their fifties. Maynard's fifty-five. I know because he was born in the same week as me. And the <laughs> nah, drummer nah, is <laughs> sixty. Or no, he's fifty-eight. He was born in sixty-one. I know that because he was born the year between my parents. Public service announcement, ladies and gentlemen. Wikipedia is an excellent source. Anyway, <laughs> um, but still, at that debatable age, debatable politically. Very true. So you figure though, in their you know mid fifties. Uh, I mean, like I said, like mid to late, bro. I'm like, but I'm like saying, I'm like twenty seven years old, and I you know going to be twenty eight in a couple of days, and uh, you work, you go to school, you do a podcast that requires heavy lifting. That's and what I'm saying. It's like annual labor, but it's crazy. Like I have a tough exhaustion. time getting off the fucking couch, dude. Like, I have a tough time just, like, if I don't want to move, I'll just not eat because I can't make it to the fridge sometimes. But these guys are, like, on tour. They live the way- lives of luxury that me and you can only dream about. Doesn't matter, dude. They're yeah. still parading out music that's actually worth wanting to fucking pay money for. Speaking. If, you, if your mind was as pe- as at peace as the those in the bourgeoisie, you would be able to make fine music as well. This is possibility, but hey. <laughs> That take years and years anyway, of practice to get. To speaking that point of fine time. music and paying money to see it, mm-hmm. I actually sent you in a text message. Um, Death Clock played their first show in five years. Yes, in November. Yes. Um, pretty much they played Adult Swim Fest, and you know Tyler the Creator and shit like that was on the bill, and Death Clock played like I think it was like a forty-five minute set, and um, they put out two new songs. Um, the set list was obviously the death theme, then briefcase full of guts, birthday, death day, awaken bloodlines, the gears, which I believe is a new song, mm-hmm. black fire upon us, which is also a new song, uh, death support, the Duncan Hills coffee jingle impeach God, which was their first time ever playing it live along with Comet song, uh, Andromeda, my personal favorite off death album three, I ejaculate fire, the duel mermaider and they close the show with thunder horse of course and the way i'm seeing this is if they're playing adult swim fest that means that adult swim as a corporation has kind of accepted the whole death clock and metalocalypse thing and there might be another season in the works and plus why would there be new songs from a fictional band when brendan small is already doing galacticon which is where he does all of his original music why would death clock continue to put out new music if there isn't something in the works already you know what i mean yeah see the great thing about uh, or a movie or something yeah i think the great thing about like personality bands like that where it was evolved from a television show that's like perfect marketing yeah. you go out there you play a show as this band and people like that may which would be rare if you know of the band, but I'm saying like you may have gone to this thing and not even known who they were, and then you hear this band. If hey, if you're in the metal, you're like, whoa, this fucking is cool, and then you yeah. find, whoa, that was a TV show, and then you find out they release a new season. Yeah, now you're going back and you're rewatching it to see what the fuck is up. For all the listeners here, yeah. all Wait, the seasons are available on Adult Swim. Do you guys like actually listen to Death Clock on your own time though? Yeah, not when you're just watching. The show. I don't listen to I it do. like I don't listen to it like I would listen to like most of my death metal bands, but like when they put out new music. I I fucking listen to it. Like, I enjoy uh, their music like all the time. And I don't enjoy it as like being a joke band. I actually like it's actually talented. See, music. yeah, to me they were always just kind of like the metal Tenacious Day or something. But that's what it is. Yeah. And that's the thing. You're telling me you never just listen to Tenacious Day? You never popped in the fucking the self-title? Not really by myself. If I'm like in the car with someone and like yeah. you want to relive it or whatever, yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, a whole you, point. it's like a shared experience. That's what I'm yeah. saying. I don't it's listen funny. to them as the same reason. Like I said, I would go listen to like Morbid Angel, like another death metal band. I don't put them in like that same type of category. But the, I I've listened to Tenacious D just yeah. to listen to them because they're fun, they're goofy. There's something I just... wanted to tell you too. I looked it up. Remember you were saying about um, Soundgarden doing a music video black for Black Rain and it was like a Metalocalypse type yeah. thing? Brendan Small, the creator of you know, yeah, Metalocalypse, was the director yeah. for that music video. That's cool. Yeah, when I was doing a little bit of research on Brendan Small, I, I was could like, oh see, shit, he directed that music video. I could see Kim Thale from Soundgarden like in uh, Metalocalypse. Kim Thale, was, um, he was um, a guest, uh, guest, guest voiced on, on okay, the show. Yeah. Perfect, yeah. There you but, go. Dude, there's so many like metal people and like actual like you know good ass people that were on that show. Like Mark Hamill did a lot of voices for that show. Um, 
I prefer uh, Hayden Christensen. No, I'm <laughs> Mark Hamill was has been on that show multiple times. Kirk Hammett's been on the show multiple times. Uh, Michael Lamott from uh, Arch Enemy, he's been on the show. Who a played bunch. Jar Jar? No, <laughs> he's another good one. He's another good one. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I I like Mark Hamill's work in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strikes Back when he uh, performed as the cock knocker. The cock knocker, yeah, yeah, that was great. <laughs> yep. I also enjoyed his uh, his work in the new Child's Play 2019 remake. He was in that? He was the voice of, Chucky. The voice of Chucky. Mark Hamill. Mark yeah. Hamill was the voice of Chucky. Fucking Luke Skyboy. On this day in music history. 1940, Yorma and guitarist from Jefferson Airplane and Hot Tuna is born. My dad's a big uh, fan of theirs. Big old Jenny That's Jefferson Airplane, right? What? That's fucking Steve so. Miller band. Yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> I guess I heard like oh, airline. Like, Dude, wait. Jefferson Airplane is um, <laughs> White, Rabbit, White Rabbit. Somebody to love. Yeah. Oh Don't yeah. You yeah. want somebody yeah. to love? Jim Carrey, the cable guy. Yeah. Dude, That's think about uh, Fear and Loathing. He's like when White yeah. Rabbit Pete dropped the, same the fuck thing. In. Yeah, they yeah. kind of ripped it off from Cable Guy. I know. That's <laughs> <laughs> totally did. Yeah. So what do we think about Jefferson Airplane? Love him. Yeah. I like Jefferson yeah, Airplane. Huge fan. I don't know any hot tuna. I can't say I do either. I've heard of them. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe they had like one album or something. Yeah. Anyway, if anyone, any of our viewers really get down with hot tuna, send us a couple uh, key tracks. <laughs> not going to lie. I wouldn't eat hot tuna, though. No. No. Yeah, like, uh, I don't know how people eat totally like, tuna irrelevant. melts and shit. Yeah. Nah. Especially from a diner. Nah. Not Ooh. my not my bag. Ugh. But anyway, in 1945, in Agata de Vida, Ron Bushby, Bushy, drummer of Iron Butterfly, is born. In Agata de Vida. Yeah, I know that song. Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I only know that song because thing. of The Simpsons. No, I know that song because uh, Ted Nugent claims that he, he doesn't do drugs, but yet this was his influence into playing music. Really? Yes. Iron Butterfly? Yep. That was particular Ted song. Nugent's it yeah. was wow 1943 back it up two years harry shearer who played Derek smalls from the movie spinal tap is born <laughs> is he the main dude no he's the bass player okay he's also voice actor for the simpsons oh true yeah wow huh i just know that because i remember seeing his name a million times at the end of yeah. the simpsons <laughs> but um yeah 1958 dave mary guitarist from iron maiden is born Hate to say it, but another band I wasn't really ever. <laughs> Which a big is crazy, fan of. man. They, I never super got into them, dude. Honestly, nah. I mean, like, there's a couple of key songs where I don't mind. Robert Plant is like as high as I need to go with like male vocals. I feel like anything beyond yeah, like the Bruce highest Dickinson of does Robert get really. But this high, is the dude. thing, though. Like this is why to me. I think Iron Maiden is like a hit or miss with a lot of people when it comes to like the Bruce Dickinson scene because of his like operatic style. Yeah, so it's a huge turnoff. Like, like for instance, there's a lot of huge Iron Maiden songs that I'm not a fan of. Like Run to the Hills, it's a great song on paper. It's iconic, but, but it's it like, it. yeah. I, it's real. I would never put that on. I no. like, there's certain songs I skip on number of the See, beast. Because yeah. I never really, I like Ace is high. Ace is high is good. Ace is high is good. Two minutes to midnight yeah. is pretty good. Flash of the, bla- but dude, killers and the self title with Paul Deano. Yeah. That's like a whole different sound to Iron Maiden. That was just like, he, he had that. Raspy, was it actually like, heavy? Oh yeah, dude. Go listen to, if you yeah. listen to the song killers, uh, murders in the room org those songs like Paul Deano Maiden dude it had his his vocals was more like aggressive like punk but it still had like that Iron Maiden like epic metal theme behind it yeah it was so like killers why they get rid album. of the good guy well he the, left the, didn't he no they kicked him out he was a huge cokehead oh yeah oh, it, was ooh, ooh, it wasn't like yeah. he was on heroin I know right yeah right <laughs> yeah but you can't have an aggressive individual on cocaine constantly showing up scaring people it doesn't work out no, because yeah. that's never worked for any other bands before, ever. No, I mean, <laughs> never really. Yeah, I guess they just have tons of money, too, so. Yeah, we can, we can afford get it. Out of control. Yeah, <laughs> we can get well, Bruce Dickinson and kind of go off the charts. Well, I mean, honestly, I mean, they, they did hit their pinnacle, 
like in like their money making capabilities with Bruce Dickinson. Of course, because it was a whole different scene. It was something yeah. like more appealing as opposed. But dude, Killers was a big album in the new wave of British heavy metal, and then Dickinson came. Number of the Beast, obviously, just we have to remember too around that time with like Killers and shit like that, like. The other like new wave of British heavy metal bands is like Judas Priest. I mean, Venom in my was opinion, coming over too. wasn't Steel. like that heavy. And then like <laughs> you had uh, Def Leppard's like High and Dry. It's a good album. Yeah. And, or um, what, what was that. the one? You um, got another thing coming. The the one uh, Def Leppard album. The the cover's got a truck on it. It's like in this in this like space or some shit. Uh, I don't know. You know what I'm talking about though, right? Not Pyromania. Is it? No, 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 no. I don't. Know Those are the '80s about. ones. Yeah, no. It's like 77 or 79 this album came out. It was like something trucking in space. I'm not sure what it was, but it was something it was something along those lines and that album was actually pretty fucking good too. Yeah. All right, so moving on. 1959, Chuck Berry was arrested for transporting a minor across the state line for an immoral purpose. What the fuck does it that mean? Turns dude? out she was a 15-year-old prostitute. <sighs> yeah. And he it, was Chuck. unaware at the time. And when he crossed state lines, they were like, God damn it, Chuck. Ah, what? Something you're, tells me. You're a rock star. Hang around with a 15-year-old. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you, yeah. You just were disappointed with the with the girls to what pick did, from, but, basically, at yeah. your show that you played probably that night. But what and did, you decided what, you needed a girl for the night. What did Chuck Berry even do in rock and roll history? Are you shitting me? Fucking Johnny be good, bro. Yeah. No, Marty McFly wrote that song. <laughs> Nah, man. Hey Chuck, just Chuck, movie. this is your cousin Marvin. You I don't know, know about that, man. Marvin Barry. <laughs> you know that new sound you've been looking for? <laughs> well, listen to this, dude. It's like my favorite fucking part of that movie. You kids will love this when you're older. <laughs> what What isn't realized often about that guitar performance by uh, Michael J. Fox is that he runs through all of the like rock genres up until that time. Yeah. Like he goes from like Chuck Berry style rock and roll to, to like Eddie Van Halen to like uh, surf to like the Beatles type shit. That's cool. Like, yeah. Um, metal and then like yeah. heavier stuff. Yeah, that's cool. Like he start that he goes to like uh like a Slade type riff or whatever. Yeah. And then uh then he does tapping the, and then at he the goes end into like yeah. inhaling type shit. Yeah. So I mean technically Marty McFly is responsible for is all responsible things rock and roll and metal. Everything. Yeah. <laughs> I mean poor guy's got what? You may have hated this. That was quite the performance. performance. He's got Parkinson's now, right? Oh yeah, then he was dancing around like Angus Young too. Oh yeah, he, yeah, he, was doing yeah. he, he like kicked over the amp and stuff. Yeah, these fifties kids were like he, was he like did a, the windmill like fucking uh, Pete Townsend. Oh yeah, yeah. My favorite did he do part. The slide too. No, he didn't use a slide. Oh wait, yeah, yeah. He's, he he's slid across. Yeah, yeah. He's yeah. On his, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> My wow. favorite part is uh, at the end. He's just like, uh, I guess you guys weren't ready for that yet. He's like, your kids will love, but this your kids are gonna love it. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, uh, generation gap in full effect. Funny enough, little known fact, the this recording that they use like in the movie, that's not Michael J. Fox singing. If you get the really? yeah, if you get the Back to the Future album, it doesn't say vocals Michael J. Fox or even guitar Michael J. Fox. It's some guy that is like his voice is like similar to what Michael J. Fox See, could have been. I always knew that Michael J. Fox played guitar and had music and shit, so I always assumed it was him, but that's yeah. super disappointing. 1964, Eddie Vedder, singer of Pearl Jam, is born. Even flow. Favorite Pearl Jam album? 10. Versus in Vitology. Versus. Mm-hmm. Versus Vine. I like 10 a lot, but mm-hmm. it's just burned out for me. I don't See, know. I think that's yeah. the thing. I don't think it'll ever get burned out. So mine, like Vitology, I think is like their like their sound more so because when they evolved, they came like more slower, more like poppier sound. You know what I mean? Cause mm-hmm. you can start to see those tendencies, but dude, versus is like the perfect one. And yeah. Ten, versus is like fire in a bottle. Yeah, ten's really yeah. fucking yeah. good though. man. Ten is like them opening up for the first time versus is like them at the peak of their powers. And then vitology is them almost still at the peak of their powers going in like a weird direction. Yeah, that well, most what was the album that you down? recommended that one time? Probably vitology. No, 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 no code. Was that it? No, self-titled. Oh yeah, the self-titled. The self-titled good. I, yeah. I'll stick up for that album. No, yeah. no, the self-titled is with the avocado on it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. you you mentioned another one. It's a weird. Avocado. Oh, Riot Act. That's right. Yeah, Riot Act. That's from two thousand. Yeah, I listened to that. I yeah. was uh, sorry. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. Not, it's just yeah, it's yeah. Just there's shame. good. There's really good songs on it. Yeah, but the whole album, it's like yeah. I think it was a, it's funny. Whole, yeah, but if you don't listen, if you I don't know. See, 
I was listening to that album when I was like 12. Yeah. So for me, it's like a, a bit nostalgic, but like you don't listen to it for 10 years and yeah. you go back to it and you're like, oh shit, this oh, wow. was cool. Okay. Yeah. Like, But I think it's funny too, because I was listening to it and there was like two tracks I picked out and I think those were the two tracks that you actually recommended that I didn't realize you like, did. So I was like, can't keep and yeah. save you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I am mine. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. There's, some, there's some gems on there. I think that's the one you uh, recommended was I am mind. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good song. Um, What's your favorite Pearl? You said 10? 10. Okay. Yeah, Versus has definitely got to be mine. Once is probably my standout track from 10. Who's you guys' favorite member from Pearl Jam? Stone Gossard. Yeah. Stone Gossard? I'm going to yeah. go Matt Cameron. Yeah. <laughs> Just because he was in sound. <laughs> yeah, but he was, he, was, yeah dude, he was everywhere. He was like the journeyman drummer of that entire grunge scene. Yeah, dude. right. He's it's great, crazy though. though. Like Matt Cameron's been in fucking Pearl Jam longer than his total time in Soundgarden. Now. I know. Yeah. Like Matt he's, he's been just, in Pearl Jam for 21 years, I think. Matt Cameron is like the Dave yeah. Lombardo of the grunge scene. Like he just plays with all these big acts. Like Lombardo was with Suicidal, <laughs> The Misfits, Slayer. He gets all these big acts for their big shows, big time albums. But yeah, man, yeah, he didn't Matt get Cameron's down with Allison Chains and Nirvana ever. Well, he didn't have no. much of an opportunity to get in the door. I mean, I don't think Dave Grohl was really. He was going busy anywhere. when Nirvana was doing their shit. Yeah, and Allison Chains have always had their guy. Yeah. Sean Kennedy never I wonder left. what Bleach would have sound like if Matt Cameron was there before Dave Grohl and Matt Cameron recorded with Bleach. It would have been like they they would never have moved on. I don't think they would have even got Dave Grohl at that point. No, but it would have been like it wouldn't have sounded the same because nah, Dave Grohl's a power hitter. Matt Cameron's no, no, no. I'm talking about Bleach. Player. You take the drummer oh, out from oh. Bleach. Yeah, I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the thing, though, because Matt Cameron would have done some insane shit, but it probably, insane, it probably wouldn't have sounded probably, right. probably would have turned Kurt Cobain into like some crazy better musician than Nirvana, but it's just been like way yeah. different. Yeah, <laughs> like this is too much, Kurt. We uh, it's not what yeah. I was hoping for. He's like, dude, I just really wanted to kick back and like a simple punk band or something. And Kurt and uh, Kurt's like, no, dude, you've opened my eyes. Yeah. Like, I can't go back to do more. <laughs> <laughs> and then they go out and record 46 and 2 and they become the new tool. <laughs> no. Um <laughs> possibly. Never. Move on. All right, maybe she'll lag. Um <laughs> also 1964, Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys suffered a nervous breakdown on a flight from Los Angeles to Houston. The event led Wilson to stop touring with the group. 1964, the Beach Boys made their first appearance on Shindig. The show had been taped on December 14th, so this must have been like right after that. Yeah. Huh. huh. I didn't realize they stopped touring that fucking early. How long did they tour? Like three weeks? Like 1964, they stopped? Yeah. Well, <laughs> when they come back in the 80s? Nah, that this point? is before Pet Sounds and all that shit. Oh, shit. So they stopped touring before the Beatles. The oh. Beatles probably got it from them. They're probably like the fucking Beach Boys. I want to tour. We're not going to tour. Fuck you, EMI. I like to read more into that. Like, how bad is your nervous breakdown where you just completely stop touring? It's like it's like that you meme know? where it's like the last dude's like you're getting paid. The yeah. Beatles. It's like the Beach Boys are like we're not. Um, Beatles are like we're, we're like killing ourselves yeah. playing 600 shows a year. Beach Boys. We're not going to tour anymore. You guys aren't playing any shows. Yeah. Right. <laughs> 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 fucking um hopefully that translates in the broadcast you have to be able you have to be big on meme culture for that one yeah um but anyway 1966 the final show of bbc tv's ready steady go was aired with the who as a special guest i wonder if that was when they like blew up the drum set and all that right that might have been it might have been yeah because keith moon was still in at that yeah. point mm-hmm yeah, I mean, for those who don't know, the, the Who once bombed their drum set on the on TV. Bombed is an understatement. That motherfucker blew up. Yeah, I think Keith Moon lost hearing in one of his ears after that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 1972, John Lennon's film Imagine premiered on national TV. I have that on VHS. Do you? Mm-hmm. That's all right. He just basically walking around the fucking house playing piano and shit. <laughs> Um, you ever see that, Steve? The Imagine movie? Uh, the John Lennon? Yeah. Yeah, I've seen it. He's like fucking wearing the suit and shit. That's funny. Yeah. Um, Look at all the people. <laughs> 1974, George Harrison released a holiday single 
Ding dong, ding dong in the U.S. Another gem from the Beatle group gang here. Ding I, dong, ding dong. I don't know if I've ever heard this song. <laughs> <laughs> say you never heard a... ding dong, ding dong? Dude, <laughs> come on. What kind of music fan are you? <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> I was going to say, out of all the fucking Beatles shit I've heard, I've never heard ding dude. dong, ding dong. <laughs> it's comparable to Let It Be, dude. Like, it is up there in the Beatles culture. It's permanently in their lexicon. Yeah. Um, we'll leave that one in 1974. <laughs> 1977, Cat Stevens converted to Islam. He later changed his name to Yusuf Islam. Huh. I forget what Cat Stevens song I like, but there was the one in Guardians of the Galaxy too that was really good. Um, it's not that important. God damn it! I forget the song, but it was it was a very very good song. My mom likes Cat Stevens. I don't mind Cat Stevens. I'm not going to actively go out and listen to his music, but if it's on, I won't turn it off. Yeah. He has a good voice. Yeah. Yeah. It's a unique voice, too. It's like like a better Dylan. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. Better Dylan. A better Dylan. Yeah. (laughs) Bob Dylan gets a little cranky That's what I'm saying. It's not... To say a better Dylan, that's kind of like... He's his own man. He's, like, better (laughs) than average. I mean, because Bob Dylan was, like... Bruce Springsteen. It was, like... (laughs) voice was, like... Come on, dude. But... Comparing to Springsteen? Bruce Springsteen's voice wasn't all fucking great. No, I'm not gonna say it was great, but I don't think Bruce Spring. I think Bruce Springsteen is probably like the, I don't know, like the beginning of like standard. You have to understand it's like a cultural thing because again, Bob Dylan's music was just in the right place at the right time, and yeah. what he was doing, like that folk aesthetic with his rock. I mean, his voice he got away with it because the music was just such a. It, it was a sound that nobody was really doing. And it was I feel appealing. like Bruce Springsteen was like, what if Bob Dylan and Pete Seeger had a baby? Yeah, and just really <laughs> were like American. Like, yeah. it's supposed to be super American. Well, that's the thing, too. If you think about Our... it. <laughs> he started that, like, grunty shit. American yeah. dream. <laughs> well, if you want to go into voices and shit, like, where do you rank Ozzy Osbourne, then? Ozzy Osbourne's oh, in a total, yeah. like... I wouldn't put him up there with like a Freddie Mercury or like a Jim Morrison that was really going out there with like that real. Yeah, tone. but how would you compare like Ozzy Osbourne to like Bruce Springsteen? He's. Uh, I, I couldn't compare them because Ozzy Osbourne is my opinion. If I had to choose a vocalist for a band, mm-hmm. regardless of what the sound was, I would choose Ozzy. Yeah, but what I'm saying is, if Bruce Springsteen is the standard, let's say "quote unquote" standard, okay, is Ozzy below or above that? Above. Way above? Yeah, I think more Bruce unique. Springsteen is okay. like in the middle where he doesn't take chances. Well, because they've gone on record, Black Sabbath members and Ozzy himself, and they have said that Ozzy is not a great singer. Uh, agree. Yeah, and I'm sure they would That's say like how that. people say Kurt Cobain's not a good guitar player. He does his own fucking thing. And Put it this yeah. way, man. People think about Megadeth. You don't okay. think at any point that those band members could come to the consensus like, maybe we should get a new fucking vocalist. They just kept pumping out af- album after album, watching Dave Mustaine up there. Honestly, I, I got I, great respect for the man. But I do hey, believe Dave Mustaine's vocals would be the weak point in all it, Megadeth. Dude, releases. I seriously think about a lot of their songs. Had they been made with a, like a vocalist like Joey Belladonna from Fucking Oh, Anthrax. they need Oh tune. my god, dude! <laughs> it's a shame because he's just such a phenomenal musician. It's just like, dude, don't force yourself to go out there and do something you're not. You don't have to constantly try to be better than James. You know, it's just not. All right, bringing it back to 1974, George Harrison in this ding dong ding no i'm just kidding um, <laughs> 1991 james brown sued the producers of the movie the commitments brown claimed that one of the characters too closely resembled him and he lost the case Ooh. never heard Ooh. of that movie so. i should go sue jack black because he, everything he does he looks like me in True. the long run like james brown won that shit because I, I never heard of this commitment shit negative no never. i never heard of it either music news Today in Music News, December 23rd, 2019, uh, Blackfield Brides have announced they have a new bassist and also a pair of new EPs. Um, uh, in November, the band revealed that they had mutually agreed to part ways with bassist Ashley Purdy, who had been playing with the American rock band since 2009. Uh, last year, Purdy appeared on an episode of another effing podcast where he spoke of the band's planned live shows. Uh, we start at Warp Tour in Pomona, California, and we're going to eight dates uh, through the Southern California area, and that's where you're going to see Blackfield Brides for the last time ever in your entire lives. He added, so you better fucking go, because that's going to be it. He later added, you better see us before you don't see us. Do you like Blackfield Brides? 
I like their older music. Do you like, like them, Steve? Like, no. Yeah, I've never heard of them. They're they were like the they were in the beginning of that whole emo thing. Like they they're they, your like typical warp tour band. Yeah, oh, the essential warp tour. They You'll were like uh, extremely like not as good Hawthorne Heights. Uh, yeah, they were like. Um, See, Hawthorne Heights has a couple songs I can get down. With. Like you remember yeah. our high school. Okay. Yeah, you remember some <laughs> of those individuals. Yeah. yeah. Um, there. It says here, the band have now announced a new bassist, Lonnie Eagleton. Eagleton posted to Twitter, uh, thrilled to announce that I am joining Blackfield Brides as their new bassist. Having been uh, a long-time dedicated fan of the band, I cannot be more grateful for this opportunity to be a part of this new era. Before I had any affiliation with the members, I used to fantasize about playing in this band, playing the music, wearing the makeup and stage outfits. So for that to now become my reality is completely surreal. It was only a couple years ago that I was standing in the audience at their concerts, singing along, trying to catch guitar picks. To now see myself in the videos and hear myself on the recordings is a feeling I can't I can't even begin to explain. I look forward to the new beginnings as the newest member of Blackfield Brides. Sounds like a movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if it were to be a movie, it would probably have like a lower A-list actor. Kanye West announced an opera whoa <laughs> can't say i'm surprised honestly just when you thought shit with him couldn't get any fucking wilder um last week kanye tweeted announcing a performance of nebu chanessar a kanye west opera at the hollywood bowl on november 24th little is known about the opera's content other than its title referring to the real life biblical character who ruled over the babylonian empire from 605 bc to 562 bc you know kanye lived in china when he was a kid really yeah for like a good bit yeah wow um kanye west tweet gave a few more clues the invitation artwork etched with a golden image of the babylonian king states music with sunday service peter collins and infinity song for what it's worth the hollywood bowl confirmed the uh event to npr back Um, in the people's republic (laughs) (laughs) Uh, <laughs> I listen, I, man. I don't know, man. Listen, Kanye West, he's he's something else, bro. I really couldn't believe, and not to say like him releasing that album just because of who he's been for so many years and having this like weird change of pace and his whole personality, his musical development. And it's not to say like, oh, like I don't, I, I just don't understand it because like I wouldn't be surprised if all of a sudden in the news you heard like Kanye West is teaming up with George Fisher, also known as Corpse Grinder from Cannibal Corpse, and they're releasing a Miles Davis cover record. <laughs> like I wouldn't even be surprised if I heard that. Like, oh, okay, so uh, Cannibal Corpse and Kanye are teaming up to cover jazz. Well, okay. dude, it's funny. I was I was watching. Um, I think I may have said this before. I was watching like a interview with Dave Chappelle. He was on like, Jimmy Kimmel or some shit. And they were talking about his musical performers that were on the Chappelle show. And he talks yeah. about the first time Kanye was ever on. He was on there a couple yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, Kanye. Young artist at yeah, the time. Like, yeah. At this point in time, he didn't know college, who Kanye like was. Dropout era. Yeah. yeah. Well, at this point in time, like Chappelle didn't know what he looked like. Yeah. He goes into the green room and Kanye was talking about Kanye in the third person. And we're talking the early 2000s. So, so it was like, he's like, yeah, Kanye doesn't like this or no, Kanye doesn't feel like this is the way to go. And then Dave Chappelle's like, well, who the fuck is Kanye? And he's like, I'm Kanye. <laughs> <laughs> like you can hear that. Like you can probably picture this by me just saying that. Yeah. If Dave Chappelle's got something to say about your mental state, you probably got a <laughs> fucking problem. I'm just going to go on a limb and say that. Yeah. But like I said, this is like the beginning of Chappelle's show. So what was it, like yeah. 2004? Give We're just going to hear yeah. one day. It's like Kanye West, Dave Grohl, Chet Perkins, Dolly Parton in the new <laughs> musical group. Yeah, <laughs> dude. <laughs> <laughs> Kanye West and Barbara Streisand have teamed up for a new gospel record this Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> Get the fuck out of here. Faith plus one. Yeah. <laughs> I'm actually surprised that Kanye hasn't tried to move into like movies. Yeah, that's you know, actually I, a good yeah. point. Yeah, that's well, like funny. his next I, step. I think it's um, it might just think, not be his. Yeah, because some people, yeah. it's, it's even like, um, yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah, but I'm surprised that he didn't even get into like scoring movies or anything yet. Like he's like goofy enough to do some shit like that or to take it on. Yeah, like I think there's a Mr. lot Spielberg, more to it. Let man. me sit you down for a second. Kanye feels like Kanye could do a really good score for this movie. Wait, and then Steven Spielberg's like. uh Wait, who who is who's Kanye? I'm Kanye. What do you like better, uh, college dropout or late registration? <sighs> dropout. 
um late registration so i like yeah i like dropout better yeah. Yeah, late registration. Late registration They're, was probably like the last of it. Like where I could, yeah, it's really two only albums those two. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, um, the one with like graduation and shit on. Yeah, it, that's not bad. Well, what was or graduation. It, uh, yeah, that's what the was album. It? Through yeah. the wire. Remember? Through the wires. That on the first song. One. I remember when I first heard that, yeah, and it was like song. the whole music video was just like mashups of like his car acts and everything. That was like when I first heard about him. Yeah, I was like, it was catchy, it was good, and then like, yeah, obviously, I actually Jesus bought the Walks album. is on there. Jesus Paul Walks. falls down. Yeah, yeah. I remember the first. All falls Jesus down. Yeah, that was man. the first I heard. Um, yeah. I even remember when like Gold Digger came out with Jamie Fox, dude. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, all right, yeah, get yeah. down with this. Dude, when I heard fifteen-year-old <laughs> suburban white kid, I can get down with this shit. Do I heard Jesus Walks? I felt that shit yeah. <laughs> god show me the way because the devil's trying to break me down that was good man like that was but that's the thing dude that time of hip-hop like it didn't even matter who the fuck you were like if you liked it you liked it it didn't become such like a you know a cultural thing where it's like only people were listening to this these people were listening yeah. to that like I, like everybody i knew was liking that hip-hop scene and like kanye came up with that and then kind of evolved into something more and then you had other artists that just fell off the face of the earth or started making poor records yeah and then the auto-tune scene came in and really just fucked everything up speaking of poor records Dude. ozzy osbourne announced first solo album in 10 years titled ordinary man um, the Prince of Darkness, now 70, sang the vocal hook on Take What You Want from this past summer's Hollywood ble- Hollywood Hollywood's Bleeding, which is a Post Malone album, thanks to his daughter. It all started when Kelly came in and said, do you want to work on a Post Malone song? My first thing was, who the fuck is Post Malone? <laughs> I, went Andrew, I went to Andrew Watt's house and said, we'll work really quick. After we finished that song, he said, would you be interested in starting an album? I said, that would be fucking great. But now I'm thinking I don't want to be working in a basement studio for six months. And in just a short time, we had the album done. Um, Ordinary Man will come out sometime 2020 featuring Guns N' Roses, Duff McKagan on bass, uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Chad Smith on drums, and Andrew Watt, uh, Post Malone's producer on guitar. Osborne's first solo album in a decade comes in the midst of a massive reissue campaign. A good reminder that the one-two punch of Blizzard of Oz and Diary of a Man Man featuring guitarist Randy Rhodes are worth revisiting. Um Imagine going from Randy Rhodes to Zach Wilde to Andrew Watt. Dude, <laughs> I mean, they released two songs. Listen, did you hear Straight to Hell? Yeah, did the, you the hear single? Um, no, uh, Under the Graveyard is another one. Yeah, did you hear Straight to Hell? Though? Yeah, I heard all of them. And I didn't like it. No. I wasn't a fan. Not a fan. Yo, hold it's on. Saying, it sounds like the shit the Foo Fighters just did, where they like hopped in oh, the studio yeah. with like the Imagine Dragons people. Dude, it's even in quotes. And that's just like, what they do now. It yeah. It's just like you just go into a fucking studio with a hotshot young producer. Like, dude, it's just. Let's put it this way. I think the Straight to Hell one, like the one vocal hook is I'll make you defecate. Like, that's one of the hooks. <laughs> Listen, dude. It's like, I will take you down. Yo. I will make you defecate. It's like, what? Yeah. You know what really sucks is because the whole thing happened with, like, Ozzy teaming up with Post Malone and Post Malone being in the spotlight with, like, all the younger generation. Then everybody's like, who the fuck is Ozzy Osbourne? Who's this guy? And they don't realize, like, I mean, that obviously you have to be that brand of parent to teach your kids about Black Sabbath and Ozzy and, like, that how influential he was on so many things. That's how, but here's I the problem, in, dude. He fucking Ozzy releases this new music. <laughs> you have kids that are like trying to be like hipster to the point. Like, okay, everyone knows post Malone. Here's a guy who did a song with post Malone. Let me listen to his music. Yeah. And if that's their like introduction, it wasn't to a good Ozzy one. Osbourne is straight to hell. I feel you're going to have no real my arms down to your heart of stone. <laughs> like, dude, it's a cool hook. Don't get me wrong, but he's only in the song once. Listen, man, Take what you want from me. Take what you need from me. Take what you want and go. You listen to. Sh- <laughs> just, I mean, it's just I'm I'm gonna listen to the record, obviously. Yeah, but it's like some it of these too. kids, like it's just a shame because if you try to pass on like Diary of a Madman or even Blizzard of Oz. I mean, even if you go back to the Sabbath era, like, I mean, it's just hard for people to kind of go from that to appreciate the past. Well, and like you're using Post Malone as a vessel to like exploit. Well, this thing is kind of fucked up too. that straight to hell song. You know who played the solo in that? Who? Fucking Slash. It's like you got McKagan's on this, too. Yeah. Yeah. It's like you got Smith. It's like you got two parts Guns and Roses, one part Chili Peppers and then Ozzy and Andrew Watt. (laughs) And it's like, you know, where the fuck is Zach Wild? I know the motherfucker ain't doing nothing. I'm on his fucking Instagram all the time. He ain't doing shit. 
He probably wanted to get paid. And these motherfuckers are probably like, we don't need to get paid. This fucking Andrew <laughs> Watt guy, though, he's going to be a millionaire. You know, it's funny. I was talking to Nicole. I, I could have produced this Ozzy album. No fucking problem. <laughs> no, I was talking to Nicole, and I like when they first announced this thing, I said, um, could you imagine being the guy that ruins Ozzy Osbourne's oh, career with man. one album? And then I heard That's these two happen. songs, and I was like, this is the guy that made the worst Ozzy album. I mean, please, prove me wrong. Prove He'll me wrong. He'll be like... Um... But... Like Scream was better than the shit I've heard so far, and Black Rain stomps the fucking shit out I of this. I can think of a few bands out there that release some yeah. great work, but they'll always have like one album you'll remember as being like a total turd. This is going to be that album. This is going to be that, and it's a shame because I don't think it it, it won't. Put it used any, to be Osmosis. Yeah, it won't put a blemish on Ozzy's career to the point where it's like he's shit. Is Osmosis better ever. than this by far? Yeah, one hundred percent. Actually, Dude, you my, listen, my you recommendation of the week is Osmosis. Of- you like it? No, 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 no. I'm talking about this. My recommendation of the week is off of Osmosis. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Really? As you loyal listeners may remember, back on Halloween, when we were talking about Shock Rock, we told you that the recommendation was The Defiant Ones, which is a three or four part docu-series on uh, HBO, and it basically chronicles the life and, you know, career of Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine to their unlikely pairing to build you know interscope and aftermath into the fucking megalodon and the music industry that it is now all the way until their release of beats and their massive sale to apple for what 3.2 billion or yeah. something it was it something says ridiculous 3.2 in the movie they stated uh three billion but yeah three billion either way it's not, so it's made it to bottom. yeah that's yeah. fucking crazy <laughs> He yeah. became the richest hip hop person after that. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Dre, he became I think. the first he, like, billionaire. Yeah. Jay-Z. Yep. Yeah. Nope. Boy, you crazy for this one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Jay was sitting in his house watching fucking CNN, saw that shit. He's oh, slapping fuck, I got to release the gold album now. He's shit. sitting there just like, <laughs> boy, you crazy for this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so this docuseries was amazing because I, I had seen it when it first came out and I suggested for you guys to watch it. There's a lot of um, a lot of cameos by like crazy influential people. You know, Tom Petty, Stevie Nicks is in it. Uh, Eminem's in it. Trent Reznor's in it for a good portion when they're talking about you know the yeah, rise well, of well, I am. Nails. Yeah. Well, I am is in it. Marilyn Manson. Yep. Um, it's just wild. Well, just, Trent you know, Reznor, a lot, not a lot of people know, but he was heavily involved in beats as well. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Patty Smith was in it too. Patty Smith. Yep. Springsteen was in it too. Yep. It, you don't realize how many people that Interscope and, you know, Aftermath, like or the people involved, like within that circle. And even, you know, back when Dre was in NWA and Ruthless Records and that shit, like it goes back through everything. And it's just an incredible docuseries. And when I first heard about it, I was like, you know, I, I don't know how I'm going to feel about it, but it is Dr. Dre. So let me give it a shot. And then once it came on, I was hooked. I was pissed. I had to wait you know, for the other episodes. Yeah. But I mean, as far as this goes, I'm not going to say it's the best documentary style film or docudrama, whatever that we've seen thus far, but I am going to rank this at like a 90%. I think this was incredible. The amount of information that you learned from this is just insane. I didn't, I didn't realize that Jimmy Iveen was basically behind death row as well too. Yeah. Yeah. Like he provided like, key funding for death row yeah. like, oh shit and eddie van halen makes a little bit of an appearance in the motherfucker too yep not in an interview but you see him in a he video signed to he gave tupac a deal at bef- at interscope before Dude, yeah, he he's got the row. letter yeah. from uh tupac yeah he's got a thank you letter that he has framed yeah. like directly from tupac it's just crazy to think this kid from new york that literally had nothing going for him and his parents were trying to get him to work on the docks and shit and he took it upon himself and he worked himself literally from the fucking janitor to yeah. the owner of one of the biggest labels in the world. Yeah. And and not even just the biggest label in the world, but one of the biggest labels in the world that house one of the greatest contributions to music ever. It is cool, too, Dr. throughout Dre. the documentary. <laughs> um, it kind of does run parallel. Like you get to seeing like the upcomings of Iveen as well as Dr. Dre because a lot yeah. of people just think Dr. Dre boom they think like you know Interscope 
uh, Aftermath, they think Eminem, they think 50 Cent. They just think like that little primary scene. And then Bush. if you dig more into it, <laughs> then you start to think yeah. of like NWA, Easy yep. his relation with Death Row, what happened in that whole scene. Jimmy but then Rowe. it's like you don't realize like his whole fucking like... Dude, he even came out and said some of his own records were like corny as shit. Because oh, he yeah. was just like in his room all the time mixing records and he was slowly coming up. But he also grew up in that like almost disco like scene yeah. with his parents and the house parties and shit. Um, and you get to see him as a real person. Like he never really wanted to rap on a record. I mean, he's got like the chronic hanging up and he's just like not even like impressed with his own work because he never wanted to be a rapper. And dude, the chronic is one of the most yeah, iconic yeah. albums from that rap scene. Um, but yeah, dude, it's cool how those like stories are like, you get to see like how different they were and like, it is weird how shit just crossroads and like makes the perfect storm. Yeah. So what are you going to give this movie percentage wise? Um, just for value alone on just how interesting it was. I mean, I'm going to give it because again, I don't think it's like the best thing. And I also think it's almost cheating because there's so many parts to it. So you got to see so much more than like an hour and a half documentary. Yeah. Um, I'm going to give it an 80. Oh, shit. Yeah, I think it was that good. Um, I, I, anything I say over a 50 is worth a watch, and then you can leave it up to you. If I go over 70, it's more than likely to say, like, you're going to get some fucking, you know. You learn a lot information from this. Out of this. Oh, yeah, dude. There was a lot of, mo- dude, I was texting you the whole time I was watching. I was like, yeah. oh, my God. The, f- the first five minutes, Tyrese Gibson, I don't even remember that ever happening, that post on Facebook where he I blew do remember up that post. Yeah, dude, it's just funny to think. He almost ruined the deal. Huh. They were yeah. so scared. He, they told, like, uh, Ivine told everybody not to say anything to anybody. And then the Tyrese Gibson. Tyrese. My boy! Yeah, first billionaire! <laughs> and Dre's in the background. Apple's close deal with Apple. And Ivine's, like, freaking out, dude. Um, <laughs> but didn't do shit. But still, it's funny. Like, it's just, I mean, that people don't think. Like, that wasn't that long ago. No. You know? What about you, Connor? What are you going to give us? Hmm. I'm going to say 75. 75? Yeah. Yeah, three so out of four stars. What's that making? An 80? All right, so that gives us a good old it's 82. It's a good review. Yeah, I mean, uh, Rotten Tomatoes gave it 100. The audience score gave it a 92. Roger Ebert gave it a three out of seven. And uh, IMDb gave three it a... Three out of seven. That's yeah. a weird... Uh, or maybe... Roger Ebert. Maybe it's ranking. a hipster, dude. Three, three out, out of seven. four. Okay. Yeah, three out of four. And then IMDb gave it a uh, 80, er, 86, 8.6 out of 10. So we're kind of right on par. Had a Grammy Award, too, apparently. Yeah, it had a Grammy Award for the best music film. Then again, it was in 2017. I don't think anything really came out in 2017 for it to compete against. Yeah, nah. Because the Megalodon Straight Outta Compton had already been released. We need to do Ray. I agree. Ray is that shit. I'm trying to revisit. Oh, yeah, dude. And I would love to talk about that scene, too, man. Um, Defiant Ones, you know, to go off of that, it just shows you that you know, you can come from any kind of background or anything, and if you find the right person, yep. it could be something that's spectacular. Like, you take into consideration, you know, Dre and Iveen, then you take into consideration Dre and Eminem. Yeah. Like, Eminem is following his footsteps to becoming another, like, mogul, like, in this whole thing. Like, Shady Aftermath, and yep. Shady Aftermath is basically the background for Eminem G-Unit. Is he's fucked up as shit, though, half the time, so he's probably not gonna... Like, he hasn't ever... He hasn't Who? Had, yeah. Well, it, was, it was just 50 Cent and G-Unit, pretty much, right yeah. in the early yep. days. Yeah. Yeah. Well, a game too in the game. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But there hasn't been shit. Yeah. Well, that that's the thing though. But the, I I guess with shady aftermath, I guess Eminem has to get mostly all the revenue from any of the Eminem records. I mean, I'm pretty sure Dre gets a percentage. Yeah, I feel of like it's pretty much just set up to the fact or to the point where the Eminem just gets to make the money off his shit. Exactly. Yeah. But you know, then you start thinking about other people and you know shit that technically really shouldn't work. But kind of does like uh, like Def Jam, a primarily like hip hop influenced record label. Yeah, I was going to bring that up bands too. like Slayer. Yeah, it's funny, too, with Def Jam getting with Slayer. You figure Slayer uh, for show number, but even Hello Waits. Hello Waits came out under Metal Blade. Yeah. Which to everybody, like you think Metal Blade records, um, you think uh, Nuclear Blast, you think of all those uh, you know, record companies like, yeah, you're going to get a metal record. Then Def Jam hooks up with Slayer. 
and releases the one of the most iconic Slayer albums to date. Well, probably one of the most coveted metal albums of it, all yeah, time. Yeah, that's true. I mean, that's I mean, but you like it's funny because you think Slayer, like you're gonna think Rain and Blood. Like some people yeah. don't even realize, like just your avid fan, that there's albums before Rain and Blood. Yeah, absolutely. You know, everyone thinks that that's just like the first one, that's the go-to, and it yeah, it came out under fucking Def Jam to start. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and a lot of it has to do with their producer. Rick Rubin. Rick Rubin. Well, Rick Rubin just wasn't Jay Z on Def Jam. Yeah, at, yeah. At first, DMX was on Def Jam. Red Man, right? Yeah, dude. Beastie you should Boys. see how many. Yeah, Beastie Boys. You should see how many rap cool went through fucking Def Jam in the early Yo, days, and still to this LL day, you Cool have, like, J and DMX were on Def Jam. Were, were any Wu Tangers on Def Jam? Solo, maybe Method Man. May- maybe or Red Man might have. No, been. I think Ghostface was. Ghostface definitely yeah. was. Yeah. Yeah. I just go space. Then who's Anthrax on? Anthrax is on Def Jam too, right? Uh, I don't think currently. Yeah, but they were at one point. I think point. they were. I think they I'm were not 100%, too. But I That's think how they, they got were. the Public Enemy thing. Yeah, because Public Enemy was on Def Jam. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, it just shows you like you have a primarily hip hop and rap influenced record label, and Although, like Steve I don't just know, said, that doesn't necessarily mean that Anthrax were on. Def Jam, just because they did that song. I'm pretty sure because I'm pretty sure Rick Rubin was a producer on one of the Anthrax albums. Yeah, no, okay. dude, they were on Megaforce Island Records. Yeah, but Island is Def Jam. Yeah, they were on Island. Yeah, okay. so they, on were, Island. Yeah, they were just in the family. Yeah. Then they went to Electra. Also, like probably, well, one of the, I, I mean, I, I guess it depends on whoever you talk to, but one of the, like another like unlikely pairing that wound up being like a fucking mega super hit was when tim mcgraw did that song with nelly that over and over again yeah like we grew up in the time period where that song had come out and we remember how fucking big that song was oh yeah and that in my opinion i believe that that kind of started the whole transition to where country music is starting to be hip-hop influenced old town road yeah old town road prime example (laughs) the shit is like how helter to skelter was to master puppets yeah. <laughs> that Tim McGraw Nelly shit is the old town. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, it's funny. Like, everyone thinks of, like, you know, that Florida Georgia line song, Cruise. You, you know, Trent Reznor helped oh, write yeah. that, right? Old Town yeah, Road. That's based off that. of a sample from a Nine Snails album. Is now, it? Like, the bass line. I told you that. The, when you looked yeah. it up, Trent Reznor got. No, no, I, I, I got a country Grammy or whatever. No, yeah. I know that Trent Reznor was a producer and writer on the song. I didn't know that it used a sample from a Nine Inch Nails song, though. That's why he's a writer on it. I don't think he was a producer. Oh shit! Yeah, that's still yeah, cool as fuck though. For it, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you know, everyone thinks about like the Florida Georgia Line song "Cruise" that has Nelly on it. Like, oh yeah, yeah. that's a fucking huge crossover. Negative. Uh-huh. Tim McGraw and fucking Nelly, they did that shit years ago, a decade ago, and that was huge, and that broke ground in genres, man. That was ridiculous. But you go back to with like Beastie Boys, for instance. Yeah. Um, what was it? Uh, No Sleep. Um, no Sleep Till Brooklyn. Who did the solo on that? Kerry King. Kerry King. I mean, you think I'm pretty they sure Kerry starting... King did the solo on Fight for Your Right to Party, too. I think he did as well. He Damn. can totally tell it's a yeah. Kerry King. But then solo. again, that's because they were all under the Def Jam but that, umbrella. But that's what I'm saying. That you Kerry got to King's that in the music video, too, for uh, No Sleep Till Brooklyn. Yeah. He, oh, yeah. he beats up the gorilla. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's cool, though, because, again, that's where you kind of like get that crossover to have these artists kind of like do things together to kind of like spark that influence. Because, I mean, like yeah. we talked about, like, again, with the Anthrax and the Public Enemy mashup. Um, and it's like different than what you would think with like Rage Against the Machine and just what Beastie Boys were doing. But then you get like these artists that work together in the same way these producers work together. Like you think about what Rick Rubin has done as a producer over his whole career. Yeah. Californication, bunch Dude. of sex magic. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he's put out some of the biggest fucking albums of all time, man. The Johnny Cash revival. Yeah. In the 90s. Yep. He's, I mean, it's just, it's crazy to think some of these producers and like you hear a name and you know, like a certain album or you Audio hear like, slave. Yeah. Uh, think about it. You can go, the list goes on, dude. Yeah. It's just wild. But that concludes our topic to, if, you know, influential figures or unlikely pairings that wound up being something way bigger than what the other two had accomplished prior. Like, yeah. Like Kanye West and Barbara Streisand. Yeah, I mean, I'm still waiting on that. Ozzy well, Osbourne and Post Malone. Well, remember the the um, other unlikely pairing that we talked about before with Axl Rose and Lars Ulrich, that fucking solo right. album they're going to put out. Or uh, the <laughs> band that should not be named in Lou Reed. 
Yeah. Velvet Underground? No. Oh, uh, Lulu. Lulu. Yeah, Lulu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's definitely a double side to this coin. I say for season two. Lulu was the greatest mention, album of the decade. I say no. for season two. It's right next to Ding Dong Ding Dong is like uh, <laughs> one of the best songs. That, I think for season two, anytime we bring them up, we say the band that should not be named. We, we're going to go this whole season without saying that no, band I'm... name at all. All right, so let's get into Suggestion of the Week. Our group suggestion for this week is the docudrama directed by Alex Cox, Soaked in Bleach. It's a great film. I have yet to see it. And, um, Soaked in Bleach. Pretty much by what you're telling me is it makes Kurt and Courtney look like a fucking made for TV after school special horseshit movie. Yeah. Yeah. I'm actually excited to see this. It's like the ding dong ding dong of documentaries. What, Kurt and Courtney or this? Kurt, or uh, Soaked in Bleach. <laughs> That's not true. You enjoy, oh, we'll talk about this next episode. <laughs> All right, so for our personal suggestions of the week, do you want to start us off, Connor? Yeah, I got uh, Masticilla's second album, Made in Brooklyn. Nice. Um, I'm going to recommend the track Street Corner. It features Jizza and Inspector Deck, so it's a bit of the uh, a real good uh, dose of the uh, Wu-Tang flavor. Mm. For anyone who's craving uh, a little bit of a uh, Wu-Tang feel, but mm. something they probably never heard before. Mm. Nice. What about you, Steve? I'm going to recommend the uh, 1977 album by Muddy Waters called Hard Again. I'll make it simple and recommend the most well-known track of probably almost the entire blues scene of this time, which is Manish Boy, um, featuring Johnny Winters on guitar. Great album. Solid effort. Nice. My suggestion for this week is the song Perry Mason from the 1995 studio album from Ozzy Osbourne called Osmosis. Oh. This album, however, you may remember seeing this in Best Buy in the Oblivion bin. <laughs> Next to Chinese. <laughs> what album is it? I'm sorry. Osmosis. Osmosis. Uh. <laughs> Reason being, the only I think the only single off that album is Perry Mason. But it went, it's one of those songs to where even if you never heard it before, you'll listen to it and like instantly get the fucking melody. You'll instantly get the hook and it'll instantly become one of your favorite Ozzy songs. The reason this album had done so poorly is because this was the last album to feature Zach Wilde on tour until Black Rain in 2008. When we saw him, uh, didn't Black you say Rain. he played some shit from Osmosis? Didn't he play like they played He like, played the song? solo from Perry Mason during oh, okay. Zach Wilde's 25-minute guitar solo. <laughs> Dude, I'm telling you, it was crazy. But, yeah, Perry Mason's a fucking kick-ass song. Like, it, it, it is really good. Like, when you hear it, you'll be like, okay, yeah, I understand this now. But it was in such, like, a fucked-up situation. Like, the band at the time for Ozzy was Robert Trujillo from the band that should not be named. Um, the drummer from faith, no more. And Zach wild was on the album. They changed out Zach wild for Joe Holmes. And he played the, the tour and all the Ozzy. That shit was a good move. <laughs> shit. <laughs> you can't find a decent live version of Perry Mason because you can't find one with Zach wild. Cause they were, reti- they retired the song. And the Joe Holmes one, it's like, okay, like he's not a bad guitar player, but I wouldn't even put him in the ranking of the best Ozzy guitar players, even compared to fucking Andrew Watt or whatever that douchebag's name is. You think he's better? Who, Joe Holmes? Andrew Watt. Yeah, let me rephrase that. Joe Holmes is a better guitar player than Andrew Watt. (laughs) (laughs) But both of them aren't on the fucking level of the Ozzy guitar players. Yeah, Yeah, they're not. It's almost uh, like in Hired Gun when fucking um, House Cooper... Who was the guy that took over once, for when right after Randy Rhodes died? Oh, um, that was oh, fuck. he was a guitar player from Night Ranger, JKB? Brad Gillis. Oh, fuck. Well, hold on. What happened was Randy recorded the first two Ozzy albums. Randy died in the Diary of Man Man tour. They had Brad Gillis from Night Ranger That's play, who the, it was? play the remainder of the tour. Yeah, yeah. He had two days to learn those two albums worth of material, and he finished the tour, and it was like ridiculous good. And then from there, Brad Gillis went back to Night Ranger because, of course, Sister Christian became a fucking huge hit, fucking worldwide phenomenon. And then that's when they got Jakey Lee. 
then Jakey e. Lee stayed for those two albums, Bark at the Moon and Ultimate Sin. Then he left, and I fuck with Jakey e. Lee. Dude, Jakey e. Lee Ozzy is really good. Bark at the Moon is shit, dude. Bark at the Moon's fucking insane. He doesn't know? get enough credit. Well, no. you have uh, another spotlight track from Ozzy would be Killer of Giants off of um, the Ultimate Sin album, dude. It's fucking insane. Yeah, the guitar work's awesome. But then, of course, then Zach Wilde comes in, and then Zach Wilde runs his course, and they get Joe Holmes, and then Joe Holmes runs his fucking little bullshit course, and then they get <laughs> fucking Zach back, and then Zach leaves or gets kicked out because Ozzy's music started to sound too much like Black Label Society, and then Gus G. <laughs> but, yeah, so my recommendation is Perry Mason from Ozzy's Osmosis album. And that was the longest justification for a recommendation <laughs> I've ever heard. Dude, that's it's been a while. That's, you're, you're really amped to recommend this album. That I'm amped to recommend this song because okay. once you hear it, you'll be like, okay, I understand this totally because it's a fucking killer song. All right. I'm going to go back because I, I mean, I've listened to the album. I'm not a huge fan of like later Ozzy, but I'm going to, I'm going to listen to it. And honestly, go like I think Perry Mason has one of the best Zach Wild solos. Yeah. Like ever that he's ever recorded. Yeah. All right. But yeah, we, that about um, wraps up for this. Once again, season. we'd like to thank you for tuning back into season two. Once again, you know, we're going to continue to do this as long as you guys listen. You can reach us on our social medias, uh, facebook.com slash RATM podcast, Twitter and Instagram at RATM podcast. And as always, our email is open at RATM podcast at gmail.com. This is Rage Against the Mainstream signing off for the evening. I'm Bill. I'm Connor. Steve. Have a good night, guys. Thank you for listening.